0: Welcome to the founders of Web3 series by Outlier Ventures and me, your host, Jamie Burke. Together, we're gonna meet the entrepreneurs, their backers, and the leading policymakers that are shaping Web3. Together, we're gonna try to define what is Web3, explore its nuances, and understand the mission and purpose that drive its founders. If you enjoy what you hear, please do subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission that is Web3. Great. So I'm really excited today to welcome Rene Reinsberg of Cello, a mobile-first layer one blockchain that's focused on inclusion and creating a fairer, open financial system. Welcome, Rene. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Jamie. So you guys have been getting a lot of press recently, uh, rightfully, I would say. But the project, as I understand it, has been in development for some time now, as much as I can figure out, around two and a half years. And you've you've kind of done the hard stuff of actually building a product and validating that with customers ahead of launching a token
1: network. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting when we, when we first um, got going, you know, the intention wasn't even to, to, you know, build kind of full stack from sort of the, the kind of core underlying protocols all the way to the application layer, but we were simply um, exploring some of the applications. We, we thought, you know, this technology would be, uniquely suited for and that we wanted to see in the world. And by, by doing that and by kind of going out there and doing some of the user research, we realized that really there were kind of things across the stack that needed to be addressed to make this a sound solution. And that ultimately led us to um, what, we're, what we're about to um, see launch now. Yeah, and that's quite a common
0: story. You know, often when people have a very clear use case or, or number of use cases in mind, they look at the technology that's available, the stack that's available, and it it just doesn't doesn't do it justice. So they have to build things that they'd rather not build. But in the end, these kind of stacks emerge almost top down from from the application. And then uh, the the stack's kind of built beneath it to serve that that application. So I want to go into your background uh, just quickly. So you're MIT alum, uh, originally from Berlin, uh, from just outside Berlin I understand it, and what would have been East Germany. And I think that's a A relevant topic that kind of feeds into why you think digital currencies are important. So we'll definitely kind of pick up on that a little bit later. So there is the Celo network and then there is C Labs, and they're two distinct things. Um, The titles I could understand are quite confusing. So I I couldn't see who lays claim to being the founder or the co founder. It seems quite collaborative. What do you?
1: Yourself. Yeah. So C Labs is a teal organization, um, and so yeah, we're we're all partners, um, and you know, there's um, it's just a different way of work. Um, highly recommend to anyone who's kind of interested in sort of different organizational models. There's a there's a great book called Reinventing Organizations, uh, which um, also, you know, shed some light on how, um, how work or, you know, how to work in a teal organization how to think about kind of teal organizations We also have a, a blog post on our, on our blog, which gives a little bit, uh, insight into what that looks like on a day-to-day basis and and how to think about, you know, things like, you know, conflict resolution or organizational changes. But yeah, you know, the, um, CELO, um, you know, blockchain. You know, the original white paper. My co-founders, Merrick, uh, Sepp, and I um, wrote that, and then we we ended up starting uh, C Labs um, as sort of an entity to to, to help build that platform. And um, you know, today, just ahead of launch, they're already beyond C Labs contributors. Um, you know, contributing to the to the code base and and, and helping us uh, get this launched. Obviously, we have in, fantastic community of validators um, that's, um, that's, you know, it's been standing up the the test nets um, leading up to sort of what will be mainnet. So, you know, all in all, this is um, already a, a collaborative effort that goes far beyond C-Labs, but um, certainly this is kind of where where the, where the spark uh, initially started. Yeah, it's
0: interesting. I mean, I've spoken to a couple of people in the organization, and you can see that that really is baked into the philosophy of the organization. And it's interesting, at Outlier, we're actually structured as an LLP partnership. And there's something I wanted to talk about a little bit later on around the, the relevancy of, of new structures, corporate structures, um, such as the cooperative movement and, and how that could be relevant. But um, yeah. to kind of j- jump, jump back to your background, yeah. so yeah. you were um, EIR at General Catalyst Partners. So, you know, you've been working within venture, but kind of you know, equally an entrepreneur. You originally had a company uh, called Loku that sold to GoDaddy. As I understand it, uh, one of your partners uh, in uh, Celo is also one of the co-founders of loku and uh, i think that's Marek, right
1: yeah and then uh, it's interesting sep actually was our first uh, advisor and later board member and yeah we've um, the three of us have been working together uh, going on 10 years uh, which wow. is which is quite nice yeah yeah i mean
0: that's the dream for an investor if you find a team that's been <laughs> in the trenches together and um they still like each other right they've not <laughs> fallen out and so that acquisition happened you ended up um, becoming vp of emerging products at, at godaddy and from what i understand that kind of led you into uh, cello yeah circa two two and a half years ago
1: yeah you know it's interesting we um so when we started loku it um really came out of uh, tim Berners lee's uh, lab so tim Berners lee's lab at mit and you know it's interesting because back then that's what we called the web 3. Uh, those linked data yes, semantic right. web semantic. Um, and so it, it's always it's always funny now to kind of see that see that reference um and you know what's what's interesting though is there are quite a lot of parallels in terms of you know the some of the philosophy and and thinking uh you know be behind behind both and so for us it was really you know when we started loku um the idea was to you know democratize the way smaller companies manage their kind of data online and and sort of level the playing field in a sense so that the small business can compete in sort of, you know, online with like, uh, you know, the big guys like Walmart and Amazon and, and, and that was using technology for that. And, you know, I think some of that, you know, really, you know, even back actually, you know, back in, back in that day. So 10 years ago, there were discussions around, Hey, what would a decentralized Facebook look like? And and so discussing sort of the merits of, of decentralization and distributed systems, and and so when we you know we're we're thinking about what's next, we uh, you know we stumbled across you know Ethereum, Bitcoin, smart contracts, and it was clear that you know suddenly there was a, um, a much more mature, even at, at this early stage, um, kind of infrastructure and, and ecosystem forming around uh, the technology that had some similar goals, but here actually had a, had a sort of an economic model built into it. And that was very compelling because I think a lot of the the problems we saw that we that we were kind of eager to kind of work on and uh, and find solutions for involved um, sort of the payments layer, you know. And and so for us, this really you know in a in a way it's something that had been somewhat on our mind for <laughs> for the last ten years. But it really it, it really clicked uh, when we when we started kind of digging deeper into uh, what, what had sort of happened in the space was with Bitcoin and then Ethereum. And you know it's it's a it's a phenomenal ecosystem. You know, I think the the beauty in terms of things being open source really helps everyone, you know, move move a lot faster. Um, there's a high degree of collaboration. And so it was really, yeah, it's it's been it's been an amazing journey.
0: And so that's interesting the, the kind of connection with Tim and say so I didn't know that.
1: You know, do you do you
0: like looking at well let me ask you another way would you consider that silo is a web 3 startup in in this kind of emergent description and you know what kind of synergy do you see between you know the original vision from a semantic web and 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 what we're looking at now yeah that's
1: a good question i mean i don't i don't know how much I, i care about the label um i think I think ultimately for us, you know, really, you know, the, some of the core ideas behind Celo are, you know, about putting out a, a new infrastructure that is more inclusive, that's that's open obviously, but also that because of that kind of is more inclusive in terms of making financial tools accessible to, to anyone. And, you know, and, and, and that we think a path towards that is by, one focusing on the user experience and making sure that this is accessible on on mobile phones you know you mentioned that in your in your intro i think that's that's actually a very important a very important kind of lens and a way to to look at this space because you know a lot of the stuff that's been built you know while we talk a lot about helping people that are on un, and underbanked and, and and really you know bringing more financial access to the world there are, there are about 6 billion smartphone subscribers and you know only a fraction of those have access to a to a computer right and so right. you know if you really want to actually bring new financial products and services to um to most people in the world, you have to build something that can run on a mobile phone and so that was right from the get go that was something that we we realized and we didn't really see you know being addressed or worked on even i think there are there are a few projects who are, but you know the vast majority of of stuff that was has been built in the space has been kind of Designed for desktop and so that that was one key um, key thing we were kind of thinking about also in the context of usability right and I think this is where you know uh, you and I, I mean I think we all remember sort of our first uh, kind of baby steps in the space and our, you know, the first Bitcoin and whatever we bought, right? And it's just complicated, right? And so to really think about, okay, how does... It's still complicated. <laughs> it's still it's complicated, right? How do, you know, how does someone out there who's maybe never had a bank account or who, you know, only uses kind of banks uh, infrequently or, you know, it doesn't really interact with the financial system all that much, but but largely relies on on cash still, right? But maybe on their phone has... WhatsApp or, or, you know, um, uses their phone kind of much more, uh, much more frequently and, and, and confidently, right? How do, we, how do we kind of, in a way, make sending money um, or interacting with financial products as easy as it is to send a text um, these days, right? And so I think a lot of that, you know, maybe nowadays overused analogy is really important when you go back and, and you design these systems. You have to ask yourself, okay, how, how can you make this, you know, 10 times easier? 10 times faster to kind of onboard, 10 times easier to understand. And, and, you know, I give you one example with, um, and you know, we, I mentioned earlier that in the beginning, we, we thought of just building an application. And when we, when we ran one of our first uh, tests, um, we actually kind of realized that people were really confused. You know, we had sort of this, we knew even at the early stage that we probably would want something like a stable coin so that. You know if we want people to use this for transactions, it needs to be something that is packed to something that you know they kind of understand the value of in their local context and you know something like a digital currency packed to the dollar right but the 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 challenge still was now in in sort of this DAP, you know fees had to be paid in a in a different in a different currency a different coin right and sort of that even even that from like a mental model and from explaining to the end user hey in order to kind of send. 5 uh, cello dollars you also need to pay gas in this other token yeah yeah you know it's like that's just how things were i mean that that d- didn't seem acceptable and so you know one of the early design choices we made was to say okay we need to find a way to make sure that gas can be paid in stable coins so that you can abstract away sort of that complexity from the end user where you know, they want to send five five dollars. They they shouldn't have to kind of you know understand like how blockchains work and that you need you know like that. It should just come out of that five dollars. Um, and or so, head,
0: or speculate on another currency, right? Do you know, that yeah, a product or service. They're not they're not Ex- trying to do FX.
1: Exactly, and you know, I think there are there are great solutions um, that take a more centralized approach, right, to abstract that complexity away. Um, So, you know, wallets that, you know, basically, you know, it was meta transactions, you know, you can kind of get around it too, but then you're starting to sacrifice some of the decentralization uh, benefits. So, so for us, you know, it was really, you know, the, the mobile focus wasn't just, okay, you know, can this, can this run on a mobile phone, but how do we kind of not sacrifice the benefits that this technology brings and, and also make, make this much more, much, much easier to use, um, for example for someone who's just on a, on a phone and so another big i'll give one more point and then you know from, from back to the uh but this one this one is important um you know and i think it's also important in light of what we're what we're currently the debate that's currently happening with COVID 19 and relief payments so one thing we, we said okay you know you know it's it's interesting this this kind of public key infrastructure is quite complicated for sort of the average user and so ideally we have something you know i said earlier let's make it as easy as sending a text um well, if you want to do that, we want to be able to basically send a digital asset to to any phone number and If the recipient already has a wallet, great, it just shows up there within a few seconds. If the recipient doesn't have a wallet, there should be an easy way for them to to link their uh, their, their their phone number to the wallet and basically claim that claim that balance that was sent and and, and We've developed a, a mechanism to do that in a, in a secure manner, and, um, and and now really, you know, with Celo, if I have someone's phone number, no matter where they are, no matter what network they're on, um, I can send them a payment, and and that's really, you know, something that we thought about for more like the peer to peer use case, but obviously now as governments around the world are, are trying to figure out, okay, how do we get money to people, and, and you know, f- for these relief efforts. Yes uh, and you know you don't necessarily want to go with sort of a, um, a kind of centralized corporate provider that may capture a significant portion of the population but but ultimately always is going to be you know there's always going to be people who are on the system and people who are not and and who benefits if you if you say okay this provider or these providers are going to be the ones delivering delivering the money right whereas here it's an open system you know anyone could build on it, access it right and so it's you don't necessarily have that kind of vendor lock-in and, and so it's it's a quite compelling solution and for us you know cash transfers has been one of the first use cases that we were really excited and, and interested in and to see now with COVID 19 that this could actually be much more of a focus even for governments um has been in some ways rewarding because it's it's a it's a pain that we've felt um you know it's sort of a gap in sort of the infrastructure that exists in the current financial system, that um, I think finally, like there's there's much more awareness for that, and um, and hopefully, us and others can can help uh, close that gap. Yeah, I
0: mean, it's it's always been a really interesting use case to me, anyway. The idea that the, the promise of all of this technology was that you could have a more effective financial system to get money to people that needed it most quickly removing, you know, fraud, corruption, and just inefficiency. So I was always very interested in how that could be applied uh, in the charity sector or, or relief aid. But you're absolutely right, as I think all governments around the world now are focused on how can they most directly get money to people that need it. And, you know, I think the inefficiencies of the current financial system. And you know, we saw that with 2008, right, how ineffective the banking sector was in getting money to SMEs or, or to consumers. It, it really ended up just kind of buoying up the banks. Now, I, I know whenever you start talking about financial inclusion and crypto, for some of the reasons you just mentioned, people are very cynical, because if you wanted to be incredibly cynical, you could say, you know, the only kind of financial inclusion has been the inclusion into a speculative bubble. But I think if you look at your background, it's clear that this has been a, a theme. So you did some time at the World Bank working in an initiative called the Civil Society Initiative. So it'd be interesting to understand a little bit more about that. And then also you did a blog post several months ago talking about your experience, looking at how Germany opened up after the fall of the Berlin War, you know, your firsthand experience of that and how that really inspired or at least underlined the promise of digital currency. So it'd be really interesting to to understand. I guess your stripes in this space, because because I know you guys have been, whether it's wanted or unwanted, compared as compared to Libra or called the Libra Killer. Um, so it, you know, I think most people it's easy to be cynical about Facebook and, and their intention. But I think it'd be great to to talk through your stripes in this space.
1: Yeah, let me let me unpack that a little bit. So, I mean, for my, maybe for starting from a personal basis, and you know, we, I mean, you brought up Berlin. So, yeah, I I grew up in a small town, you know, sort of outside Berlin, and I was on the on the east side. So, definitely, things things really changed when the wall came down, and that was that was a big change for for our family. You know, my parents were running. Uh, a small business at the time and this was the first time for them working in, in a market economy now and, and kind of really learning on on the fly on the job so to speak what you know how, how to best how to best do that and you know I think Berlin Berlin is a fascinating uh, city um, to this day and you know I think there's to me it's no surprise and we have a big office there I, I you know I, I I love I love the fact that we we have a presence there and we have a, we're growing a team there and it's interesting because our team in berlin it's you know yeah sure we have we have some some germans uh but actually it's it's people from all over the world that that are moving to berlin and that want to be in berlin um and i think the crypto community in berlin is is incredibly strong and it's it's really it's, inc- it's, inc- yeah, it's it's incredibly what's the right word you know i think it's it's in the space for the right reasons um you know it really it's it's motivated by really seeing this technology being you know being able to kind of affect change um on on a society level and and so it's it's just been it's been really rewarding to to be to be a small part of to be a small part of that community i think that compared um you know when we kind of now look at at libra um yeah you know i think from a technical perspective there's some similarities and uh certainly you know the focus on having something that is for, for kind of mass adoption and that like, you know, the, where the goal is for this to be used by many people around the world. We're very aligned in terms of those objectives, but I think really that's maybe also where, where the similarities stop. You know, I think we have uh, the Cello Alliance for Prosperity, which is an alliance of over 50 organizations that for the most part, if you look at them, are, you know, are very mission aligned in the sense that, they're either working on on some of the use cases you know we talked about cash transfers uh, we can talk about micro lending we can talk about giving people access to work and and, and a lot of the organizations are based in uh, in you know all around the world in international markets uh, whereas i think with libra there's a much stronger u.s focus uh a much uh, much bigger focus maybe on, on on big corporations whereas you know i think we're we're, we're trying to maybe focus in a little bit more around okay how do we how do we kind of start in places where the need for this technology is 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 biggest ultimately yeah i think in order for this to be you know truly global and and useful for everyone our belief is that you have to start where the need is is biggest and where sort of the gap in terms of uh what's available is is largest and if you are able to build an infrastructure that can work really all around the world in in you know in, in environments where there isn't a strong kind of current traditional infrastructure then i think you have a chance to actually build something that that is that is really adopted um globally and you know i spent you mentioned uh, the world bank you know I, I spent time working with their local team in uh, in venezuela and you know yeah it's interesting I feel in some ways I feel fortunate that I had the chance to experience, you know, different, uh, you know, different systems, different countries and at different points sort of in time, but, but seeing sort of the effects of what happens if there, if there isn't sound currency, if, if the, you know, the access to um, to currency is is somewhat broken. Right. I I think that's, definitely was more the case in venezuela than it was in east germany but um you know it wasn't money money really took a different um, you know had a different purpose uh when the wall came down right suddenly there you could buy things you know before uh before it was used yet to kind of you know sure to buy things as well but not, not necessarily you couldn't you couldn't really buy all the things you wanted but you could buy the things that were available and uh, and that really, that really kind of uh, was a was a big kind of disclaimer. So, so yeah, in many ways, like for us, and this goes back to the mission uh, for for Cello, the the financial, like the better financial infrastructure, the better financial system, is is a means to an end, right? And, uh, and and the end really is is prosperity. It's helping people achieve something with that access, right? And whether that's you know just being able to to now do work because there's there's a way. For, for people to get paid um, in this digital currency, which previously there wasn't maybe, or uh, or even just kind of access, right? I think the internet is beautiful in the sense that it has brought you know access to them to, to information to to really the, the most remote corners of the world, but without sort of the payments uh, kind of layer, the same hasn't really happened for uh, for work, right? And for you know, for commerce in a sense. And so that's, I think that's really kind of the the big, that's, that's some, that's one of the big goals here, right? To make sure that you, you kind of extend in a way the, the nice groundwork that, that has, that has been done with the internet and, 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 and make it about economic opportunity. Yeah. I
0: mean, it's interesting. So the, the reason why I ended up stumbling across Bitcoin and, and getting into the space was, um, initially, I was looking at peer-to-peer finance and how that could be applied to a particular startup at the time called Money Circles. That yeah. led me to, to, to Bitcoin and, and then more broadly looking at blockchain. My initial frame of res- reference was how could, how could blockchain-like technology or peer-to-peer infrastructure enable a new form of kind of digital cooperatism? So I was always convinced that the, the two made sense. You know, Once you started to have truer forms of peer-to-peer um, money or peer to peer value transfer, peer to peer ownership, it was natural that what would happen on top, you know, the, the way that we would form collectively to share those assets, to pool those assets, would look something similar to, to a cooperative. So I was actually one of the founding um, partners of the Platform Co op Alliance out of New York, um, led by a fellow German, actually, Nathan uh, Schneider. Do you know him? I don't know, but that sounds really interesting. Yeah, you should definitely. Connect yeah. so that they're doing. They're kind of probably coming at it from the other direction. I would argue the the harder direction in that they are trying to mobilise the cooperative industry, credit unions as they are globally, yeah. to to leverage some of the technologies that platforms have, Web two platforms and, and now Web three technology. But in a way, they have to go through all that cultural change. And um, I guess you're c- kind of coming at it from the other perspective, which is you know you get the technology in the hands of the individuals, but uh, there, there's potentially something um, there's maybe something some place in the middle where you could meet so do you do you think about what you 're doing do you and the team think about what you 're doing as social on, entrepreneurism or you know do do you find a distinction between what you're doing and what you think other entrepreneurs in the space are doing and within that context you know you've you've got a lot of very well-known Silicon Valley VCs. If if I'm right, I think a couple of them were also looking at being involved in Libra. So how do you how do you firstly how did you convince them to invest in um, something that isn't necessarily all about shareholder supremacy? And then secondly, how do you? How do you balance those stakeholder groups to deliver on your mission?
1: Yeah, um, it's a good it's a good question. So I think ultimately, you know, like like Ethereum, this is a general purpose platform, and you know, I think we're as a team particularly passionate about the um, the use cases. You know, you and I have been been, been chatting about here, but it doesn't mean that you couldn't build other stuff on on top of the infrastructure. <laughs> so I think that. That may be kind of a sort of a, as a general disclaimer, but you know, I think what's been what's been interesting and what we what we quite frankly have been positively surprised by is the the amount of founders and people who have come to us and said, "Hey, you know, this is this is a much kind of better way to to think about the world." You know, we want to be a part of this. Um, we quite frankly, you know, we're we're still very early in our journey, and you know, we. I you know I think I can speak for sort of definitely as founders and, and and a big part of the team that this is kind of what we see ourselves doing for the for the foreseeable future you know I think there's a this is a big mission and you know it will it will take time to um to put sort of proof points against sort of you know getting 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 closer to our goals and 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 what's interesting is I think that a lot of the, the underlying motivations in terms of thinking about, okay, how do we bring our financial system more um, in line with society, with kind of communities? Um, you know, how do, we, how do we maybe, you know, I think this is the beauty with, you know, smart contracts and digital assets. You know, when we think about currencies now, we can think about currencies through the lens of technology and, and think about much richer uh, monetary policies for example right and, and you know money the primary features of money haven't really changed since the 1600s right but now we actually have a chance to 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 iterate on that to iterate on those on the features of money and see hey are there are there ways to to do things do things differently um and i could dive into a few examples if that's that's interesting but i think um what's what's been happening since we started this is there you know there's an increasing debate about you know the environment sustainability which which is really I think capturing more and more sort of the collective mind share. And then now with COVID nineteen, I think that has accelerated the the conversation even further, right? And people yeah, absolutely. are thinking about, hey, is this the right economic system? You know, do we maybe need to think about alternative systems, you know, this whole globalization thing, you know, how is this going to look like? And, 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 you know, I think there is kind of this kind of going back to, you know, thinking about much smaller communities, um, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, like maybe a different value system. And there are a lot of things that I think with we're passionate about that we totally, you know, unrelated from from what's happening, we, we saw sort of glimmers of like you know in various communities different experiments people were, were running said like look this is this is this actually feels right we should kind of figure out how to kind of um, create an infrastructure that can have these things kind of happen at a much at a much bigger scale and so uh, you know if i look back now you know last year we we open sourced the platform we launched the first testnet publicly and since then I think the the amount of uh, organizations people that 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 have been interested in in kind of joining us and, on that on that mission has been has been astonishing. i mean i can 't really find a better word so we have um, just recently where we, um, we had the team who um, had organized LibraCamp come to us and said, Hey, we want to run a cohort uh, for for cello and so you know they launched the program. Um, they've seen over 200 teams uh, apply. And I've, I've looked at some of the, the projects and it's just amazing. I mean, it's like all stuff that, that I want to see in the world. And, you know, the beauty with was, was an open, open source system is that, you know, we don't have to build every single piece of it, right? And there's a token economic model that also ensures that everyone who's contributing to it and who's bringing value to the platform can be rewarded that way. And so to me, it's really nice to see because I, I think a lot of the stuff when we kind of started we we're like oh this could it's going to take 10 years going to take 20 years to you know make meaningful impact on, on this dimension but here now we have um you know this collective of organizations that's kind of working towards this common goal and i think it will happen a lot faster that you know um obviously you know even just looking at the alliance members they have a collective user base of over nine million people right that's you can you can actually you can move things with that right you can actually kind of make an impact much more quickly than if you have to start you know as as a startup with with a few users and 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 grow from there and so to me it's all been very encouraging but but i do think it is all you know accelerated by what we're going through currently and 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 you know there's much more space and, and time for for having a conversation around hey is this are we headed in the right direction as 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 a society so i don't know if that like your question but that's um i think you know i think the you know it's maybe not not like a not a clean cut answer but you know it's really i think there's 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 a chance here to for people to kind of just pause and say okay this is this is kind of the way we want to go
0: look i mean i i think which is a really good thing. You, you've shown incredible pragmatism, and I think people that are truly mission oriented are, are pragmatic about how they get there. They're not they're not dogmatic. And I think you know what I'm really excited about by this project is, as I said, a lot of the themes are things that I've been almost on the side of venture capital, uh, been thinking about. And I think you you've now got this perfect storm, as you say, in a period of unlimited quantitative easing, where You know, the the old adage, there isn't a money tree. I mean, it's clearly demonstrated there really is a money tree. You know, people can, (laughs) governments can print money whenever they want and they can do it to unlimited extent. And I I do think that then gives an opportunity for topics that certainly in the US would previously be regarded as fringe, like post-capitalism. I don't know if you ever read the book by Paul Mason on that, but how there would be this convergence of technology and and kind of social movements. You know, we really are at the point where we could move into a, a new, a new paradigm. And so, you know, when you're talking about now, when money is code or the concept of programmable money, I think that gets really
1: exciting. So let's
0: definitely talk about some, some of those use cases.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think there is this, I don't know how radical some of these ideas have to be either, you know, I think in, in, in some ways it's it's stuff that's been that's been around it just you know hasn't had the the you know infrastructure to to really scale or um or happen at you know you know or or kind of spread i guess right so i mean one example that that we really like you know, um, sort of here, here was sort of the team is this, um, there's a, there's a small, there was a small town where there's a small town in Brazil still there, um, that back in the in the 80s had a had a trash problem. And so the, the garbage trucks couldn't go up um, the hills through the favelas to to clean the trash, the roads were too narrow. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was, was a problem. And, you know, the, on the other hand, the, the, the city, the municipality had a, a bus system that was underused. And so the mayor at the time had this brilliant idea to say, okay, you know, I'm going to give people bus tokens if they, if they kind of bring their, their trash down, um, to, you know, a few collection points, you know, what ended up happening was that, you know, people, people did that, um, they got bus tokens, they could go in the city, um, work. And, and so in a way, you know, the, the cost here was, you know, was, was zero because, you know, the, the buses were empty and now they're, they were full, right? So there was, um, there was not really any, any marginal cost there for, for the mayor to, to kind of make that call. Uh, the streets were clean, but then something else happened and it was basically people started using the bus token as a, as a community currency in the favelas. Right. And so people were. You know, paying each other uh, in bus tokens, and and uh, it was really this complementary currency that kind of coexisted with sort of the, obviously the national currency. And you know, it wasn't you know ever kind of threatening the national currency, but it was just the example of the, of a community currency that was very much aligned with the the goals, the objectives of that community. And um, that you know, if you look back during the period when that was introduced. Led to significant kind of you know GDP growth and actually helped that kind of city uh, outpace um, other other cities in in the country at at the time. So it's really interesting because you know this is something that you could very easily implement on on a platform like Celo on, on really you know kind of any digital asset um, you know uh, platform. So it's interesting. Local
0: currencies, just to jump in there, I think local currencies of. Yeah. Have... Have again been one of those really interesting use cases that have you know, crypto has always held held promise to, and certainly in the UK we had the Brixton pound. I, I believe exactly. one, yeah. one in Brighton, um, yeah, yeah. and I think to kind of feed into one of the points you were making earlier, the idea that you know we're now all in uh, self imposed quarantine, or sometimes not self imposed. This is going to bring about a new form of localism. And so, again, it feels like the perfect storm for considerations around localness and local currency to become top of
1: mind again. It does. And, you know, until now, again, the the, the technology wasn't quite ready. If you had tried to do local currencies on on Ethereum two, three years ago, you know, it just... It, 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 could have been done but it wouldn't have been um possible to do it as user friendly fast and and so on right as as you kind of would want to so that people would would really use it right versus the the other alternatives that that exist sort of in in today's centralized world so i think that's where again you know if if you look at okay what would be required to make to make this a success well you know it should Probably easily work on mobile phones should be fast, right? It should be something that can have, um, you know, a monetary policy that reflects the goals of that community, and for that to be implemented um, through smart contracts, right? And so it's it's all things that, if 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 we go back to some of the design principles for for Salo, we we try to kind of really accommodate, make sure that this infrastructure is the best possible infrastructure for for these type of use cases, and and by doing that, you know, we. We definitely you know we're definitely kind of honing in on on some of the payments uh, use cases, and so maybe Celo is not the best infrastructure for i don't i don't know for for some other things you know applications that um, that we're not thinking about right. But minute, think, you think it's the
0: best for everything. That's right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't know if that's necess- If that's if that's if that would be good, right? I think you know, right. I I, I, do, I do see a future where we do have many layer ones um, that that sort of cover all. They all cover different areas and use cases. Um, I do see a world where there is interoperability between between all of them, um, and I think that's 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 happening. That's already that work is underway, and they're you know some of the smartest people in the space are kind of thinking about on on how that um how we how we get there faster so i'm you know personally you know even with libra um you know i can sort of see you know i can i can see some potential benefits in just bringing more people into the space introducing people to this concept of you know cryptocurrency ultimately you know it's like with other products in the web 2 world right where you know if you're really if you're really focused on 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 this on the solution, on solving a customer, you know, a user problem, then you, you end up likely building a better solution than if you're if you're just building some, you know, something that's kind of general purpose. Yeah, and look, I think I've always argued that whatever you think about Libra, it certainly
0: it certainly raised the profile of crypto and digital currencies in a positive way after the whole ICO mania, which which really tarnished the industry, and I think discredited a lot of genuine innovation and in entrepreneurs that are happening. And it forced conversation in Congress and, and, and plenty of other institutions around the world about if there isn't you know proper thought put into this, uh, things are going to emerge that are going to be impossible to put back into the bottle. And so I think again, it, it should create a, a more permissive environment. And I know uh, in the in the podcast, a couple of podcasts. Before you were speaking to Patras Elgarvis, who heads up the um, digital single market in for the European Commission, who is incredibly pro pro innovation around blockchain and crypto assets, DAOs, and, and all these kind of things. So, again, I think it's kind of a, a perfect a perfect storm for you guys to be entering the mix. Um, so, to kind of close off, um, I mean, I could talk to you forever, but um, <laughs> there are. Again, lots of evidence points that you really walk walking a, walking a walking a talk talking a walk so you know you have you've had over one hundred and thirty events in thirty five countries you had the prosper retreat, which i think is linked to this uh, prosper foundation that you have with folk working in and around financial inclusion not not specific, necessarily specific to crypto and you also have these very strong community tenants The four i believe so could you, could you talk us through those community tenants, what, what they mean, and I guess how you or the community hold you accountable to them. Yeah, you know, I
1: think one thing that we, we did when we first started, and this is maybe the benefit of this being not our first company, but we, we, we recognized early on it's important for us to sit down and uh, really articulate the, the mission, uh, the vision for where we're, where we're looking to go. And also um, how we, how we think we can, we can get there. Right. And, and what sort of some of the values are that the, you know, the way we want to work together, but in, in this new world extends to the, to the community. Right. And so I think that, that helped a lot. And I think that also by articulating that makes sure that we have, you know, that someone who's kind of new to Salo or new to the community kind of, has a sense for um, very quickly can kind of very quickly see what we're about. Um, so one thing, the, you know, for
0: clarity, you've got you've got yeah. four right. You've got designing for all.
1: Let me, um,
0: um, uh, innovating yeah. in money, uh, striving for beauty, and
1: um, embolding, empowering, <coughs> embodying humility, embodying. Yeah, there,
0: there you go. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah. Let me. I mean, so the first one we kind of talked a little bit about already, which is designing for all, right? And that this this is kind of why are we starting? You know, in in places like the Philippines or, or Kenya or Argentina or Colombia, with, you know, with respect to you know, some of the pilots we've done in the research, why we're not just starting in the US or, or Europe, you know, for that matter. And, and I think the, the goal here is to really make sure that whatever we um, design at sort of the infrastructure level can actually work well in, in all kinds of environments. And if we're able to, in a way, provide a solution for people that currently are you know, furthest away from sort of the financial system that you and I kind of um, have access to, then we have a good chance for, for kind of creating something that can truly serve as global infrastructure. Um, and so that's, that's the first one. The second one, innovating on money, goes back. We talked about this a little bit as well. We have a chance to treat currency as a technology and actually iterate on some of the features, monetary policy. We um, yeah we touched a little bit on was it with I, I guess with the local um, kind of community currencies but there are some really interesting uh, yeah yeah features that um, like I said before have, have actually been implemented in some cases um, you know in very small scale local experiments but but now is really the time to kind of think about okay what could these look like at scale some of the concepts there include um, you know damage charge currencies natural capital backed currencies um you know gifting money into existence um for example through a basic income uh we talked about local currencies you know i think there there's a lot of really interesting concepts that if if we um, you know if we kind of fast forward 10 years um what will currencies look like then the currencies that we kind of use on a daily basis sure i think some will still be you know the kind of global reference currencies the way we know them today but i think there's a chance for much more you know much more adoption of 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 these other forms and and maybe our kind of currencies as we know them changing striving for beauty yeah i think this one this one is a little bit it's kind of giving some guidance in terms of you know when we when we we think about the products and the services let's create something beautiful and let's let's kind of try to be thoughtful around the way we we implement things um and i think that's I don't know, that's just something that aligns kind of with our, our two values, connectedness and, uh, you know, uh, giving, uh, focusing on people's unique purpose. And by doing that, you know, I think you end up, you know, when you, when you look at a new product or feature, if you have the intention to create something beautiful, um, you're in a way like you're, you're, you're limiting your design space. In a, in a really positive manner. I <laughs> it's maybe like yes. a little bit hard yeah. to explain. No, it makes You get it, yeah. And then embodying humility, I think this is, uh, this is an important one, right? I think there's, it's easy to kind of say, oh, you know, we know everything and we have all the answers and we have now working in the space for a long time, like surely this is the way to go. Um, and personally, I'm, I feel like, you know, I learn every day um, and that's, that's likely never going to stop. And I, um, I actually enjoy that. And I think the team is sort of, you know, collectively in our our community, I see that too. There is definitely that humility to, um, to say, look, you know, I I don't, I don't know, tell me or let's, let's find out together. And, and I think that's particularly important, because we're, as much as possible, want to try to not just design things through kind of our lens, kind of the way we look at the world, but uh, by by listening and understanding what are the needs, what are sort of uh, the things that the communities that we're, we're looking to work with, we're so looking to kind of help need the most. And so a lot of, a lot of this is kind of a co-creation process, right? Where we, we try to kind of early on involve community to, to develop things together. Um, and increasingly uh, that happens without us um, necessarily even being involved. Um, the other day I saw, I just saw on Twitter, one of our Alliance members actually kind of launched a beta for an integration uh, with uh, m for, for Salo. Oh, and, you cool. know, I hadn't like, I hadn't, I, I didn't know about it. <laughs> I learned about it from Twitter, but it's beautiful. And, you know, it's, it's kind of nice um, also for them, you know, the way they're kind of going through it and they're putting it out for people to kind of uh, give feedback and engage with it. And, you know, I think it's great to see um, those four community tenants, really being adopted um, by by the community um, and, and shaped. You know, I think there's, there's definitely room for interpre- inter- interpretation on, on all of them, but it, it provides sort of a somewhat of a, of a kind of a baseline for how we want to work together. Yeah, and look, you know, there's huge complexity in this space. There's so many different
0: problems at every layer that you've got to solve for that it's impossible that that's going to reside in any one team. Um, so look, as I said, I'm really excited to see Uh, You guys coming into the space and the approach that you're taking, it's very philosophically aligned uh, with a number of things that originally brought me into the space, um, but I've not necessarily had the opportunity to, to invest in in a commercial sense. So, look, thanks for your time and good luck with everything. Thanks so much, Jamie. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.